I want to talk this morning about love, right? I want to talk this morning about love, and, 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 and I think specifically extravagant love, extra love, right? Extravagant love. What is love? And if we think about what love is, and, 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 and I, want to, I want to move past the, right, I love my sports team, I love that soda, I love moxie, which again, like we might need, we might need some help for you. Like even the Mainers are shaking their heads, like no way, right? Thank you. That's very affirming to me that tasted it once. But it's funny, real, real quick, it's funny, because the first five seconds of a sip of moxie actually tastes really good, but then it's then it doesn't. Okay, anyway, right? I want to get past those trivial things, and I want to get to what is extravagant love. And so, and so if, if, you, if you were to look up the definition of love in the dictionary, okay, it's an intense feeling, an intense feeling of deep affection, okay? But, but there was an article in Time Magazine recently that talked about how we've got to actually redefine love. Because what, what, what that definition doesn't talk about, an intense feeling of deep affection, what it doesn't talk about is how love has to move to action. And so he redefined, this author in this, this, this Time Magazine article, he redefined it to feel and to act lovingly. And so, and so I would take that even a step further, to feel and to act with affection, okay, with affection, right? And so, and so that's, that's what I want us to work from today. But the thing about love is, and we're going we're gonna to talk a lot more about the meaning and, and, and how to love and all, all those different things. If you're anything like me, you're already sitting there thinking of your top 10 songs about love, Right, but and, and I was going to have you list some, but we don't have time for that. Okay, um, we, we talked about Moxie, but the thing about love is that when we love someone or something deeply enough, it causes us to do some extravagant things, doesn't it? I mean, when we love something deeply or for long enough, right? Like a sports team, we'll wear Carolina blue shoes on a Sunday morning. Amen. I mean, when we, it, it causes us to do some things that other people might look at and really question their sanity, our sanity. And so the question I want to ask for you today, the question I want to ask of you today is why love Jesus extravagantly? Because I think that's a real question we've got to wrestle with. Why do this? Why love Jesus why, why do all of these things? Because in a, in, 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 in a world, in a culture where we're trying to love so many things, where we're so spread out, where we're so, right, why add this thing? Why, why think about an intense feeling of deep affection to feel and to act with deep affection toward Jesus? And the answer is this, okay? The answer is this, main idea of today. To be transformed in our whole lives. That's why. We love Jesus extravagantly to be transformed in our whole lives. Our social medias too. Like everything. To be transformed in our whole lives. That we would, and get this, because this is what we're going to unpack for the rest of our time today. That we would disadvantage ourselves in order to help others find a similar life. 
That's the, that's the, that's the context. That's, the, that's what we're seeing here in the book of Mark, that Jesus is calling his people to sacrifice, to disadvantage themselves in order to help others find transformation of their whole lives. Even Peter's social media, okay, which I think would have been an awesome one to follow. True followers of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, will not hesitate to worship Jesus with great love and great sacrifice. That's a big statement. True followers of Jesus will not hesitate. True followers of Jesus will not hesitate to worship him with great love and with great sacrifice. And so, just a couple more questions before we dive into Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Hopefully you found your finger there. Um, But have you ever, in your life, as a follower of Jesus made a sacrifice of extravagant love? Can you recall a time that you did something um, in the kingdom, right, church-related or, 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 or for another family or, or something like that, that really cost you? Can you think of a time in your life where you actually went without something you really wanted because of a sacrifice of extravagant love for Jesus? So, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest Jesus, how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So that's the scene. The religious leaders, these these, these scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, they were seeking an opportunity to arrest Jesus by stealth and to take his life. And, and, and so much so, they were investigating it so much so that, that, that they said, not during a feast, not during, not during this time, lest there be an uproar from the people. So verse, verse 3, that's what Jesus is facing. <clears throat> while, while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly, think $51,000. Okay, a year's wages is what is what is what this would have meant. This very costly, and I and I saw one commentator this week put a dollar sign on it. Fifty-one thousand dollars is what he said. But think a year's worth a year's worth of salary. She broke the flask and poured it over his head. Verse four. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, "Why was this ointment wasted like that?" For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given it to the poor. And given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What she has done will be told in memory of her. What a testimony. Verses 10 and 11. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, because this is what they were seeking. They were seeking the opportunity. They were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. So, see, so here we see something. 
We see something of this in Mark, unnamed woman, a sacrifice of extravagant love by a woman who Mark allows to remain anonymous. And we also see two lives, two lives that could not stand in greater contrast when it comes to devotion to Jesus. An unnamed woman who gave her absolute best, and a man named Jesus, Judas, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Of the woman, Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Of the man, Jesus says in verse 21, of Judas, it would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Two pretty different statements, right? Of what what the woman did, pouring the, pouring the ointment over his head, this will be a testimony wherever the gospel is proclaimed. And then of Judas, it would have been better if he had never been born. I want us to look at four things about extravagant love, and then we'll close it down with a, with a few things. Is that cool? You didn't really have a choice. All right, number one. <clears throat> extravagant acts of love, number one, will be public will be public. Extravagant acts of love will be public. It will have a ripple effect. It will have a ripple effect. I don't want this to be seen, right? I don't want this to be seen, but it's going to have effect, right? People are going to know. People, I don't know if you know this, but people talk, right? Things get spread, Okay, And so extravagant acts of love will be public. The backdrop of this story is the Jewish feast of Passover and unleavened bread in Jerusalem. It was a time of thanksgiving for God's miraculous deliverance of the Hebrews from from Egyptian bondage back in Exodus chapter 12. This is a remembrance of that day. The Jewish Independence Day included the sacrifice of the Passover lamb whose blood on the doorpost 1,400 years earlier had caused the quote-unquote death angel to pass over each home where he saw it, sparing the life of the firstborn of the family. That's the context of this ceremony of this Passover where the religious leaders didn't want to go and cast capture Jesus and put him to death because they didn't want to uproar from the people. That's what we're talking about. So in the secrecy of the Sanhedrin, the, the chief prize, the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, chief priests were seeking to arrest him and kill him. Mark says that they hoped to arrest him in a treacherous way, but not until after that feast. Jesus was popular with the people at this point, and so they would wait until the crowds had gone to try and not create a scene. However, We see, because we know the end of the story, that things would proceed on God's timetable, not theirs. And then the scene shifts to Bethany in verse 3. While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table. He was reclining at the table. I love the picture of that. I love the picture of that. Reclining at the table. Jesus kind of relaxed. Isn't that a cool picture in your mind? Reclined at the table um, in Simon's home. Uh, Jesus had, had, had healed him of leprosy. John chapter 12 tells us that, of the event that happened six days before the Passover. So this is just, this is just happened. So Mark's account's a flashback to, 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 to that. And the lady here, the unnamed lady from the book of Mark, is, is Mary. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. The latter of whom Jesus had raised from the dead, right? Lazarus, John, uh, John 12. 
And so he was reclining at the table. Woman came, Mary came with an alabaster jar of pure and expensive fragrant oil of nard. She broke the jar, poured it on his head. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of Jesus. Somebody walks into church right now and takes a bottle of ointment and pours it over your head. How do you respond? No, don't answer that. Okay. <laughs> don't answer that. But this is very significant. This is very significant. I love that we're talking about this today. Nard was a sweet-smelling perfume. Okay, Nard's probably one of those words like moist that some of you probably wish we would stop saying. Okay, all right, but 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 it, it was a sweet-smelling perfume from a rare plant um, found only in India, and Mary broke the flask, making it no longer usable, poured its full contents out on Jesus, both his head and his feet. Then she wiped his feet with her hair. I want you to notice something. Every time we see Mary in Scripture, she's at Jesus' feet. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I mean Martha's busy, you know, making the, the um, um, what do you, what do you, what do you, the charcuterie, the charcuterie board? Charcuterie, the char board, okay? Martha's in there, she's dicing stuff up, probably really like... Right, really frustratingly, right? I know none of you do that in here, right? Because everybody's in there watching the game and you're out in the kitchen just, you know, chopping and frustrating, right? But, but every time we see Mary, she's at the feet of Jesus. Now, this is significant. This is significant because a woman normally in this culture in this time would not approach a man in this public meal setting except to serve him food except to serve him food. Mary cared not one bit for cultural norms. Not one bit for cultural norms. Why? Because Jesus was more important. Jesus was more important to her than how others felt of her. Jesus was her Lord and her Master. She deeply loved Him, would have done anything for Him, and she wanted everyone to know the incredible value that she placed on Jesus. So she went public. So she went public. No one could deny or doubt where her loyalty lied. My question for you this morning is, how public is your love for Jesus? Could the same be said of you? And again, the, the significance of, of, of her, of, of her um, pouring this over him is that they, is, is that they, would, they, would, they, would, they would anoint, right? They would anoint um, um, uh, bodies for burial. And so this was a sign of what was to come. This was a sign of what was to come. And so she went public with her love for Jesus. Can the same be said for you? Can the same be said for you? Extravagant acts of love, number two, are often criticized. They're often criticized. They're often criticized. The critics would have no part in praising what Mary had done. 
Some began to talk among themselves. They were indignant, led by Judas and in self-righteous pride. They questioned both her motive and her action. And so while she worshipped, get this, while she worshipped, they expressed their anger and displeasure. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? While she worshipped, they expressed her anger and displeasure. Right? Doesn't, doesn't that still happen today? Or maybe not, I don't know. Right? It, it, it always amazes me. It always amazes me. Um, um, uh, no, let's just keep going. Sorry, John. Okay? Sorry, John. John hates when I do that. Creepy John. All right. But observe a couple things here. Number one, um, i, I got to explain that because I'm not calling John creepy. In the, in the series, The Chosen, that my small group's watching right now, they call John the Baptist Creepy John. And so John Huthersall is in my small group, and so we've named him Creepy Anyway, all right, got to be there. you got to be a part of my small group. Okay, sorry. Sorry. But let's keep going. I want you to observe a couple things here, all right, in verses 4 and 5. That's going to stick now, bro, and I'm sorry. Okay? All right. Yeah, thank you. There were some, we'll look at verses 4 and 5 as we focus back in. There were some who said of themselves indignantly, why was, the, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, given to the poor. And they scolded her. And they scolded her. Now, I want, you, I want you to observe three things here. Number one, the disciples not only degraded the woman, but they also degraded Jesus. Because to honor Christ in this manner, they said, was a waste. To honor him in this manner, they said, was a waste. They didn't believe that he was worthy of such a sacrifice of extravagant love. And, and, let's, and let's throw him a bone here. Let's give him a little bit of grace here, right? Is that they were so eager to know what was happening. They didn't, they didn't see all of the signs that were pointing, as much as Jesus was talking about it, to his death. Like many of us, they probably thought, Oh, he's got, he's got a lot more time. There's no way he can be done this side of heaven yet. As many times as he was trying to tell them and prepare them for his exit, they didn't want to buy into it. Secondly, the second thing I want to point out to you here in these verses is that some are willing to be poor in their possessions in order to be rich in their devotion to Jesus. Others aren't. Others aren't. Others aren't. And, that, and those latter ones who like to hang on to their stuff and have their cake and eat it too, right, are usually the critics. They're usually, they're usually the critics. Third thing I want to point out to you, the world, and sadly many in the body of Christ, will never have a problem with moderate, measured devotion to Jesus. We'll never have a problem to moderate and measured devotion to Jesus. To Jesus. I'll give you this much, but that's it. You can have this much, but I can't do any more. We'll have little or no problem with too many possessions and a pursuit of comfortable and convenient Christianity. But to walk away from a real career, you'll be marked as foolish, living a wasted life. To walk away from mom and dad to serve the Lord in the inner city and in America among the poor and hurting, you'll be deemed silly and impractical, irresponsible. Taking your children with you, 
You'll be, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be labeled as reckless, radical, even imbalanced and in need of serious counseling. In need of serious counseling. Um, I, 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 I never, when, 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 Chris, when God called Kristen and I, and Bria and Micah, Ezra and Vera, um, weren't wanted at the time, um, but, uh, but they, they, they weren't here yet, and, uh, and, and, and when God called us to leave our church in North Carolina and come to me, it was tough. It was tough. Because, because and, we, and we, 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 man, we caught it a little bit because people didn't understand we were, we were called by God to come to a place, but people, people thought, oh, well, he's leaving a youth pastor job to get a senior pastor job. It must pay more. It paid less. It paid less. Oh, well, Kristen's from Maine, so Travis is just taking Kristen home. She didn't want to come back. She liked Myrtle Beach. And 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 North, and North Carolina temperature. When we met in college, like it was the third thing she said. Hi, my name's Kristen. I'm majoring in youth ministry. I never want to move back to Maine. <laughs> and I was good with all three of those things. Once I figured out how to spell Kristen, because it's with an I, not an E. Get that wrong once, you'll never get it wrong again. And it was hard because I wanted so desperately, I wanted so desperately for my friends and the people who I loved and cared about and, and, who, and who loved and cared about us, I wanted so desperately for them to grasp, no, we're not going for us. We're going because God has called us there. We're going. And, be, and, and, and if it was for any other reason, we wouldn't still be doing it. But, 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 but they just didn't get it. They didn't get it. And so extravagant acts of love, when you're obedient to the things of God, when you're obedient to Jesus, you'll catch criticism. And you'll be criticized this side of heaven. But in heaven, you have a master, God, who applauds your love for him. And that's what you have to hang your hat on. Because there are some things that God will call you to do this side of heaven that will never make sense to the people sitting around you. But if he's called you to it, he'll see you through it. And that's not just something to put on a, on a mug or on a, or on a um, um, coaster or a t-shirt. That's something to hang your life on. That if He's called you to it, He will see you through it. And we've seen that time and time again. And I could tell you story after story after story of how God has shut the mouths of lions and the people around us. He's seen us through. And it hasn't always made sense. Especially to the people around us. Galatians 1.10 For am I trying, Paul puts it all in perspective here. In Galatians 1, chapter 1, verse 10. We just talked about this back in the fall. For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. George Whitfield, the evangelist of the First Great Awakening, said, Oh, for a thousand lives to be spent in service for Christ. Paul says to the church at Corinth, I will spend and be spent for the sake of your souls. Extravagant acts of love will be criticized. Number three, extravagant acts of love 
will be remembered. Look at verses 6 through 9 here. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She's done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body uh, beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. What we see here is Jesus standing up for another faithful servant, a woman who has showered him with a sacrifice of extravagant love only to be ridiculed and criticized by those who should have known better. Who should have known better. Leave her alone, Jesus commands them. Don't harass her or give her a hard time. She has done something wonderful and singularly important to Jesus. Anointed him for burial. And he makes some observations, some striking observations about Mary. The first one is this. She's done what she could. She held nothing back. She gave what she could. She, she had done what she could. She held nothing back. Her act of love had symbolic significance. She had anointed his body in advance for burial. Did she fully understand what was about to happen? Probably not. Did she have greater insight into our Lord's coming passion experience than the twelve of apostles? I doubt it. But she did something significant. Because God urged her to. And then Jesus makes a promise that her sacrifice of love will never be forgotten as the gospel goes throughout the world. The fact that we're talking about this story today, April 10th, 2022, is a validation of what Jesus promised, isn't it? Extravagant acts of love will be remembered. And then lastly, extravagant acts of love will be contrasted with acts of betrayal. Look at verses 10 and 11. Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Some people find Jesus useful because of what they think they can get from him. Others find Jesus beautiful because they get him. This woman found Jesus beautiful and gave all that she had to him. In contrast, Judas found Jesus useful and sought to get all he could in exchange for him. Judas, one of the twelve, was so close to Jesus, yet he missed him. He was so close to Jesus, yet he missed him. I fear that for some of us today, that we're so close to Jesus, we're so close to the things of God, yet we're just, we're just missing the beauty of him. He's doing things all around us and we're just not aware. We're missing the beauty. Judas takes the initiative, going to the chief priests to hand Jesus over to them. Verse 11 is simple and tragic all at once. Look at it again. When they heard it, they were glad, promised to give him money. 
The leaders of the Sanhedrin were glad to hear this and promised to give Jesus, uh, Judas money, excuse me, 30 pieces of silver, the value of a slave accidentally uh, gored to death by an ox. Not a high value. Not a high value. That Jesus is lightly esteemed is reflected not only in his betrayal, but also in the low sum agreed on by Judas and the chief priests. Judas then started looking for a great opportunity to betray him, and it would come much sooner than he expected. But with the results, he would find deathly disappointing. And so we see quite the contrast between Mary and Judas. Check this out. This will be on the screen. With Mary, okay, with Mary... We see no real standing. No real standing. And even in Mark, she's left anonymous. No real standing. Judas, one of the apostles. One of the twelve. Again, should have known better. Mary gave what she could to Jesus. She had this bottle worth a year's wages. Poured it over his head. Judas took what he could get for Jesus. 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Mary blessed her Lord. Jesus, Jesus even talks about how blessed he is by what she's done. Judas betrayed his Lord. Mary loved Jesus, loved her Lord. Judas used him. Mary did a beautiful thing. Judas, a terrible thing. Mary served him as her savior. Judas sold him like he was his slave. Mary, notable for her devotion. Judas, notorious forever for his betrayal. Now, as you look at this list, right? As you look at this list, I don't know if it stirs in you like it does in me, but oh, how I want to be like Mary. Oh, how I want to be like Mary. And how often Judas so readily appears in the mirror. And the truth that we have to come to grips with on this Palm Sunday is that only the good news of Jesus, the gospel of my Savior, can heal and transform. Oh, that we would be fully transformed. Rob, leave that up there for a minute. There's some folks trying to write down and take pictures of it. They smile for your picture. Anyway. Anybody ever heard the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross? It's one of my favorites. One of my favorites. They redid it a few years ago. And it, when it, it jams on the bridge of that, I'm just like, yes! It was written in 1707 by Isaac Watts. Charles Wesley reportedly said that he would give up all his other hymns to have written this one. What's interesting about that is we know he wrote at least 6,000 hymns. It's good. It's that good. Stanzas one and four are especially meaningful to me as I sat and pondered them this week. 
when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour content on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast. Save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to His blood. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Have you in your life, as a follower of Jesus, ever made a sacrifice of love? Can you recall a time, as I asked you earlier, when you did something that really cost you, a time when you actually went without something because you really wanted to love Jesus? My challenge for us today is twofold. These aren't going to be on the screen, but write, write them down if you're taking notes. Number one, take time to love Jesus. Take time to love Jesus. Take time to sit at the feet of Jesus, to, to stir your affections for who He is, to worship, to worship. See, see if, if love is, is defined as that deep feeling that stirs action, right? We have to give ourselves space to feel. We have to give ourselves space to feel. Space to, to ponder those things. Space to, to think on the sacrifice. And if, you, and if, you're, anything like, if you're anything like me, um, that's one of my best memories of, 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 of my sabbatical in 2019. Um, Dan, I don't know if you know I took a sabbatical in 2019. And, and, um, and one of the biggest things I noticed in that three months, in that 12 weeks, was at about week um, six or so, when, when the brain finally turned off, okay, when the brain finally turned off at about week five or six, I felt things. I saw it again back in um, 2020 when the pandemic hit and we weren't, we weren't gathering for, for, for church on a regular basis. We were doing things online and, and, and we had that Easter where we didn't gather and, 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 um, and, and, and it was weird, right? But I saw the same thing because the pace slowed down immensely. I felt in ways that I, that I hadn't felt. And my fear for you and, and, for, and for me at times is that we run at such a pace where we say, all these, we say we love all these things, but we're numb to what love really is. And so in order for us to sit and love Jesus and to have our affections stirred for Him, we've got to stop. We've got to practice spiritual disciplines of prayer, of reading our Bible. We've got to, we've got to practice spiritual disciplines of listening, 
We've got to fast from the things that, that, that tug on us, that pull on us. I was having a conversation with somebody as they were walking into church last Sunday, and we were talking about some of the shows that we're watching and all these different things. And, 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 uh, and, and they watch far less shows, and, and, and they're far, frequent, uh, far less frequent on their, on their shows than, than others do. And, and one of the things that, that, uh, that, that she said to me was, um, I never regret reading my book. She's like, I never get to the next morning thinking, oh, I shouldn't have read that chapter. I should have watched Survivor. Right? Like, I, I never regret not watching Survivor. It's the same thing. Find a hidden immunity idol. Backstab your tribe members. Backstab your tribe members. Just try to keep your torch lit. And you win. Right? It's the same thing. Just different names. Different. I just struck a chord with some of you folks. And some of you survivor lovers. What, what season are they on? Like 187? I'm just, we're watching Survivor right now. I'm just asking the questions, okay? But, 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 but they said, we, we, we never regret sitting and, and reading a book. Let me tell you something. You'll never regret taking an hour and sitting at the feet of Jesus. You'll never regret it. You will think things, you will feel things that you haven't felt in a while that you haven't thought in a while because you're giving yourself space. I heard this probably 12, 13 years ago. I don't know where I heard it from. I wish I could give it credit. A change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. You've got to change your pace and you've got to change your place to get that change of perspective. And some of you, some of you are running on the fumes of what was once a deep passion and a deep love for Jesus, and you're wondering why it's a struggle. You're wondering why it's a struggle. You're wondering why it's a struggle. Well, pastor, I don't have time. My, my friend Russ talks about this all the time, and that, he was, that he was listening to a message by this guy who was talking about abiding in Christ, John 15. And he was addressing all the people that said they didn't have time to abide in Christ. They didn't have time to stop. They didn't have time to spend with Jesus. And he said, my answer for that is simply this. Stop what you're doing. And then you'll have time. Stop what you're doing. And then you have time. Oh, but I love feeling wanted or needed. All the more reason you need Jesus. All the more reason you need Jesus. Second thing, second thing, which builds on the first, obviously, because if we're going to take the definition, right, a, a deep feeling moved to action. If love is a deep feeling that's moved to affection, then I've got to do something with that feeling. Right? I've got to do something with that feeling. And so that's why, that's why every, 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 every time I teach someone how to study the Bible, every time I prepare a message, every time, every time I talk to someone about, about preparing a message, about doing a Bible study or anything like that, that we, that we can't just stop at the information. Right? We can't just stop there. We've got to think about, okay, well, what are you going to do with that? Right? And I pray that, that as you walk out of here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, as you walk out of your small group, that you're moved to action. Right? That you're moved to action. Because we don't do this so that we can just give you a bunch of information. Right? We do this so that we can be transformed, remember? Into the love of Christ. And so, and so the second thing here 
is that make an effort to act on your love for Jesus. Spend time, take time to love Jesus and then make effort to act on your love for Jesus. How do you act on your love for Jesus? And what does that look like? What does that look like? Anybody ever seen The Fiddler on the Roof? Or read it? Is it a book? It's a book, right? And a movie? Tom's like so disappointed in me right now. It's a show. All right. I, re- I read the article, okay? I didn't. Tevi? Tevi? Tevia. Wow, I'm striking some chords here. Uh, asks Goldie. Goldie? Gold? Goldie? Golda. Val, you want to come read this? Whether she. <laughs> Those, uh, Tevia asked Golda whether she loves him after a quarter century of marriage. And her right answer is exactly on point. For 25 years, I've washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned the house, given you children, milked your cow. She asks then, if that's not love, what is? Of course, it's possible to perform all sorts of duties for someone and feel little or nothing for them. Love is not about being hired help. Love is not an obligation done with a cold soul. But neither is it a passion that expresses itself in cruelty, or one that does not express itself at all. The feeling must be wedded to the deed. We would have a healthier, concept of love if we understood that love like parenting like friendship is a feeling that expresses itself in action what we really feel is reflected in what we do and so why why extravagant acts of love by jesus why the cross why why all of these things so that we could be transformed so that we could have life so that we could have hope. And that's my prayer for you today. Are you willing to spend time with Jesus? Stop what you're doing. Stir your affections. And out of that, go and do acts of love to the people around you. Don't just tell them you love them. Don't just tell them you love them. Show them you love them. Show them. Show them. Show them. Let's pray. God, today I thank you for your love for us. That while we didn't deserve it, while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die on our behalf. And God, I pray that you would forgive us for the times where we walked through the motions of love. That you'd forgive us of the times that we, that we get distracted, that we get it wrong. And God, I thank you for your grace in that. And I pray this morning that our affections are stirred for you. God, that as we look at the story, the testimony of Mary, that you, you promised in the moment that whenever the Gospels proclaimed that this story would be told of her. 
a sacrifice of love. God, today I pray that we would press into you. As we walk through uh, the, the, the story of this week, as we walk through the motions of this week and, and, and what's coming, um, God, Easter, God, I, I pray that the realities of the sacrifice that you made in Christ would be made real to us. And that, God, it would stir in us transformation. That it would stir in us change. That it would stir in us necessary no's. That it would stir in us a life that lives for you. And so, God, as we sing this next song, I pray that these words would ring true in our hearts. Hallelujah. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.